Hello, may I welcome you to episode three of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynne. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or worked in the case of some of my future guests in this wonderful industry, as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. Yet again, I had great fun recording episode three with my first husband and wife team, Anthony and Karen Groves from DC Groves and Son, who are based in Tenterden, Kent, the so-called Garden of England. I have had the pleasure of knowing Anthony and Karen for many years now and got to know them after reading their company profile in Removals and Storage magazine where Karen mentioned she was about to purchase Remstar to assist with their office administration and accounts, which was news to me at the time, as I was the lead developer of Remstar and no previous contact had ever been made. Me being me, I made contact and the rest, as they say, is history. Do enjoy this fabulous duo. Anthony, Karen, good afternoon. How are you? Welcome to Moving Matters, episode three. Hi, Colin. Good afternoon, Colin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. You're both looking radiant, by the way. Thank you. So, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your length of time in this industry? Well, I'm Anthony Groves. I'm Karen Groves. And uh, we are both partners of uh, DC Groves and Son. I suppose you could call it a second generation uh, removals and storage business, although I probably it's barely second generation. And I, I'll explain. My father was 53 when he started the removal business. Uh, sadly, 11 years later, passed away. So I took the reins over when I was 24. So uh, quite young, really. Didn't get much of a chance to get my teeth into it. But I was 13 when I started and uh, obviously worked during the summer holidays and then joined him as soon as I left school uh, when I was uh, just about to become 60. Karen has been with me pretty much all the way along, but- Since you were 13? No, 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 <laughs> not, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but after my mother passed away, you took a, a very active yeah. role. So about 93, 1993. So that we've been running it together for some 27 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, lots of ups and downs and we now run it with uh, our business partner Ian. So DC Groves and Son is named after your father? Yes, yes, Donald Clarence. So can you tell our listeners about the company and the services it offers? Yeah, I mean it's evolved like a lot of companies over, over its years trading, it has evolved. We started out doing domestic uh, removals and storage, starting out in a very small way my father uh, was an impulsive person, thought he might like to try his hand at removals, went and bought a removal lorry, but didn't have an, an HGV license. So he then had to go and try and pass his test, which he, which he did. And we, he's, I suppose his whole ethos really, which is what I've tried to carry on, is providing a very professional service to our clients. One that where people would wholeheartedly recommend you to all their friends um, and so right from then to this day that is still what we're doing although there's been some changes along the way uh, we've done some corporate work uh, some contract delivery work 
But when all said and done, anything now that doesn't make us a profit, we're not interested in. And I know that might seem really strange saying that, but there's probably so many companies out there that do chase the work because they all they've got to do is keep the wheels turning because of the amount of, of money that they perhaps are oh you know with new vehicles and the size that they are they just have to keep chasing it whereas we've got probably to a stage where we don't quite so much we've been there don't get me wrong we have been in that position uh, where we've had to chase it and there's that old saying is there isn't there it's uh you know about turnover and profit vanity and sanity and i i much prefer the sanity part um so yeah Domestic removals and storage is where what we do. We do a little bit of European work, but we subcontract that out to uh, some trusted colleagues, VAR colleagues. Bit of archive storage. Our storage warehouse is uh, is, is quite sizable, uh, 18,000 square feet holding 800 containers. And we've got a very good trade customer with us as well. And that really is, is what we're doing uh, today. And we, as I say, the ethos is not changed. It's providing a quality service for a quality price. So you touched on size of company earlier. You say yeah. you have 800 containers. Yeah. How many trucks do you run and what, what's, what's your crew size? Uh, well, it might, it, probably for a lot of people listening, it probably wouldn't add, add up really for the amount of containers. But um, we're running seven vehicles ranging from 18 tonners down to panel van. And uh, we have six full-time members of staff. So sort of quite, uh, quite small, really. Hence why you can pick and choose the jobs that you want and only take the profitable ones. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I wouldn't like to say that we would, you know, if when jobs are booked, we take the jobs. It's not a case of, um, you know, we look at two jobs alongside and say, this is more profitable, so we take that. We very rarely get that sort of chance. But we do know that the jobs that we do quote are profitable because of the way that Ian structures the quotes and, uh, you know, the way he sells our company to our potential clients. But we know if we get a job, it is going to be barring a catastrophe on the move. It's going to be profitable. Yeah. So you took over when you were 24 years old. I did. OK, so in the last six years, because you're only 30 today. <laughs> have you had any challenges that you've had to overcome well I t i'll tell you that i'll tell you right from the beginning when i took over the biggest challenge was and um i think think before i do it's probably fair to say that without this lovely lady to my right karen if, if it wasn't for her i think that things would be very different she's managed to keep both me and ian on the straight and narrow mainly because she holds the uh, purse strings to the company she's the <laughs> lady in charge of the finances but I, I, I you know I joke but that is absolutely true and uh, you know I think probably if we'd have listened to her a little bit more over the years we might be even in a better position but the biggest challenge right from when I took over and probably not a lot of people would know this certainly in the Kent area they do but not nationally is that my father actually passed away on a removal I was 24 as I've said and we were out on a, uh, a, a move for a fairly regular client, me and uh, another chap and my father. And in sort of the, uh, in manoeuvring the vehicle into the driveway, uh, he had a massive heart attack. 
and pretty much passed away there and then. So that's the first challenge. How do I get over that? How do I keep the business running with my mother and Karen? Um, you know, what do you do in that sort of situation? Shock's the first thing, but you've got a book of removals that you've got to try and carry on doing. And so that's what I tried to do. So we sort of restructured the company. And not forgetting that I was expecting our first daughter. Yep. Karen was expecting our first child. And I didn't have an operator's license. So the first thing to do was if I was going to carry the business on, which was always the intention, because that's why pretty much why my father started it in the first place at a late age, was how do I get an O license? So I spoke to the traffic commissioner or their office and they said, well, we do sympathise with you, but you can't get it on grandfather rights. So you're going to have to go and take your CPC and we will give you six months in which to do that. In the meantime, you can carry on trading. But of course, if you don't pass your CPC uh, after that six months, you'll either have to cease the business or employ a transport manager. So with Karen heavily pregnant and actually in hospital at the time when my course and exam were being run, I managed somehow, don't ask me how, it's no. always been an absolute fluke of, perhaps, I don't know, that I passed the CPC. And with a pass rate in them days of just over sort of 90% you had to get, as I say, God knows how I did it, but I did it. I went to uh, the hospital in the mornings, then, you know, early, went up to do my uh, CPC classes for the, for the four or five days, and then come back to Karen in the hospital, make sure everything was all right, and then go home to my mother. That, that happened for five days and then had to take the exam on the sixth day. So that's the first challenge. I managed to pass it and we managed to carry on the business. We had to restructure it because I think I said earlier that my father was compulsive. He was a compulsive buyer. If he saw something, he liked it. And so therefore I had to look at the finances. I, we managed to get a bit of a loan from a family member, um, which again, if it wasn't for my auntie, we probably again would have had a very, a different outcome. She managed to lend us some money, restructure it, sell some vehicles, etc., and carry on. So there was challenges right from the start. But I'm glad to say we got through that. So then, probably without really much of a period of me being able to grieve, I just went, as most removal company owners do, head just absolutely went head first into everything at 100 mile an hour. You know, uh, doing removals during the day, quotes of an evening, working them out at the home office when I got back. And that carried on, Karen, for probably getting close for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. And then I was hit with what I think at the time was scarlet fever. Am I right? Something like that. After my mother had passed away as well. So there was another challenge. 18 months later, I'd lost both of them. And basically, I was suffering from exhaustion. I'd just done too much and had to have been advised to slow down, which, of course, I probably didn't, actually. And uh, once my mother passed away, we decided to really, in the beginning, uh, on accountant's advice, to bring Karen into the business because I was a sole trader, apparently earning too much on the books. 
I certainly wasn't earning it, but apparently for tax purposes I was, and to bring Karen into the business to reduce the tax liability. And that's how Karen came in really. And then she started doing the secretarial work, taking the inquiries and all that kind of thing. With your mum, Karen, looking after the children yep. at the time. And that was yep. all from the office at home, Colin. So lots of, lots of challenges over 37 years that I've been doing it. Lots and lots of challenges. But that was the, the major one, to try and get over, get over that and to keep the business running. Which you've done successfully ever since. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's lots of, um, there's been lots of ups and downs along the way. You know, various sort of, various recessions that we've hit. And, uh, you know, having to try and scale things back, and rebuild and, and do all of that. Uh, but, yeah, we are still here today. And, of course, we, we're just coming through something unprecedented as well. Another unforeseen sort of circumstance, like a sort of recession that we're all, all removal companies are going through. And we're all trying to work out the best way to get through it. And how has the pandemic affected your business? Well, we, it, um, I think the biggest challenge is all the, all the sort of guidance to try and implement within the company. But we've done that. Uh, and it's trying also to give the guidance to the customers because they, some of them are fairly blasé about it, about, you know, you can wear a mask if you want to and all this kind of thing. Um, so that's been quite a big challenge with the pandemic. Uh, Work-wise, not too bad. To be honest, could be a lot worse. I think that I'm a great, I think the government have done their absolute very best. And I think that, you know, although we could all criticise and we all probably do criticise them for some of the things that they've done and are doing, you know, if it, the furlough scheme, for example, God, half the removal companies in the country probably wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that. And they certainly couldn't have packed up for two months. And, and all the other help that they've given has been a great benefit. Work, as I say, work-wise, okay. We hit a bit of a lull during July. We haven't had a very good July, Colin, if I'm absolutely honest. And I always like to be really honest with, with these things. And when I'm chatting with people at bar meetings or whatever, wherever I am, we've had a terrible July. We are, we are you know, literally sort of about 50K down on last year. But that was bound to happen bound to hit a lull, bound to hit that lull because there wasn't any house viewings and sales going through in that sort of eight to 10 weeks. So we knew that was coming, but gladly we seem to be out of it and August looks much, much better. How have you found it, Karen? Yeah, very much like Anthony says. I mean, the from when we got back within a short time, the quotes, yeah, they seem to be coming in and we have the leaflets with all the labels going out. So it seemed really busy, but it's taken its time to sort of work its way down to now the work actually coming in. I've been quite busy, actually. Um, we've been very lucky. Our customers carried on paying, our storage customers, that is carried on paying right the way through. We had no problems there. And in fact, even some of the ones that had sort of a higher balance on their accounts and things, we got it in. So we were very, very lucky. Um, and like Anthony said, with the furlough, it's kept us going. So, 
yeah, I've been really busy actually. It's surprising. We were still coming down a couple of hours every day and just keeping on top of it. But it is nice to be a little bit back to normal, I yeah. must admit. Yeah, yeah. August looks like uh, August looks like it should be where it, a normal August would be. Yeah. Uh, although having said that, because of our our sort of policy that we put in place of not not bringing in any part-time um, staff, sort of regular agencies that we use. We have a very good sort of network of a, a very good agency who supply uh, a lot of removal companies in Kent and trusted trade sort of partners that would supply us with porters and drivers for when the work picks up. We've not used, to date, since the 18th of May, we've not used any outside staff. And really, that was just something we put in place to protect our workforce. Now, that means that we're probably two third, uh, sort of a third down, if not a half, uh, where we're only taking on two to three jobs a day instead of four and five. So it has affected things. But of course, if you're not taking on the work, you're not generating a cost. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not all bad, as I say. It, it, it was really done to protect our staff. Yeah. Having said that, it looks like the work is coming in for August and it looks like as long as our trade sort of partners uh, sort of implement the, the guidance that, that we are doing with our staff, then we, we would, as of sort of mid-August, probably be happy to have some of them back. But but that would be on the proviso that those those staff are regular. They sort of, they don't, agency probably agencies are, are, are or other removal companies are probably notorious for sort of saying to you you know well you haven't got that same chat tomorrow that you had today because he's doing something else well what i want is if i've got a member of staff one extra or two extra in for five days during that week i want the same two in so that they i don't cross over um, staff and whatever and so forth so I just still try and keep the risk down as much as possible if you could change anything from your past what would it be oh. from my past from from actually how we've done things yeah from a, a DC Groves point of view from okay. the company okay so I think me and Karen have both agreed on this one uh, and in 2008, we decided that we would, only because we was approached, and I suppose that tells everything really, we were approached by a, a very good friend of ours, Andrew, who owned a removal company in Lyd called Turks, Turks of Lyd in Kent. And he was looking to sell. And my first thing I want to point out is, and I've learned the lesson, is don't ever buy a removal company or anything like that from a friend because it doesn't work. So we, after going through all the due diligence that you would do, we decided, didn't we? We did. Karen, to buy it and invested quite a lot of money into the company. That was in March 2008. So September 2008 saw the biggest collapse of banks, worldwide banks. So we bought the company in the March and the September, the market just went, it just went. And the kind of clientele that Turks had was not what Groves had. No. 
and the storage started coming out, the removals dried up, and the problem we had oh, was that, as I say, buying something from a friend. Well, if we'd have done things actually how Karen wanted to do them, and let's not forget that our business is a partnership, so there's a there's a there's a voting system, and it's quite straightforward. It's two to one, either way. And me and Ian wanted to go to go for it, so we decided to purchase it along with the storage, the five removal trucks, and the brought over the eight members of staff. What Karen didn't want to do was to employ the staff or to bring the trucks over. She wanted to get let Groves staff do that and if we needed any other staff to to then employ them as we wanted them and also to obviously carry out the removals with the groves vehicles and again if we needed any extras sort of look to purchase them uh, but we didn't and in in the september 2008 things started going downhill a little bit and uh, we came to the decision in the February of 2009 that we had to, after less than a year, put that company into liquidation with huge debts to the three partners, which to this day, we do carry those debts on the mortgages of our houses because that was the only way that we could uh, sort of um, borrow the money long term. So if I could change anything, from the DC Groves and Sun Pass, it was that we hadn't purchased that company because along with some bad advice from a very disreputable, um, what would you call them, liquidator, yeah. that we were recommended to, who actually, I might want to add, was at the centre of the Portsmouth football scandal when it happened. If, you know... We had some dodgy advice. We were told that we could probably liquidate the company and sort of buy it back for a, what would amount to their fees, which seemed dodgy at the time. We were advised against a prepack liquidation, which would have meant we could shut the company down one day, open it up the next. Probably not morally right, but you can do it. And lots of companies do it. A lot of companies and well-known companies in the past have done it. So if we'd have been, you know, if we, and I think a lot of it, Colin, comes down from, from the fact that I'm a second generation removal man. Ian's a removal man. Karen was brought into it. We are now, but we were not businessmen. And to run a successful removal company these days, you have to be a, a good businessman. You have to look at your figures, see where you're perhaps going wrong. We didn't do that back then. And by my own admission, we, we, you know, we really shouldn't have gone down that route um, because we were probably just setting ourselves up for a fail, even if that hadn't, have, that crash hadn't have happened. We should have been a lot more business savvy about it. But as I say, we didn't get the best advice from accountants and liquidators. And uh, of course, you know, the debt is still being repaid with actually a, you know, a well-known local company having having now taken that over um, because they, once you liquidate a company and you have to publicise that liquidation and that the assets are for sale, all and sundry can see it because it has to be published. So it got quite a lot of attention because there was a removal business and 500 container business to sell. 
So yeah, if I could change anything, Colin, it would be that. Did you manage to come out of that at all with the storage or did you have to sell the no, storage, the, the whole, then the trucks and everything? The whole lot. Yeah, the whole lot went apart from 100 containers that we managed to convince the liquidator to hold over because we had some of the ex-Turks clients that didn't want to go with that company that had bought it and wanted to stay with us. And we had we negotiated to buy the con some of the containers, about 100 of them, to, to boost the DC Groves and Sun storage capacity. Um, so, no, we, we pretty much, apart from that, lost everything. So what is your high point of being in this industry? Well, I... <sighs> Do you want to? Do you want to think about it? Yeah, yours? I think. I think, think about it. You think about it. You think about it. You think about it. She's letting me go first, by the way. That's a bit of a first, actually, in itself. But there, I will go. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said earlier, she is she is the, the the one that's held me together in all of over these years. Um, I suppose high point is quite simply being more involved in BAR serving as i've served as chairman of the kent area i'm now uh, the national councillor for kent which i immensely enjoy meeting the other national councillors some really influential people on that council and you know i i sort of soak up everything that they say because they have vast experience in 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 building some pretty large uh, companies qss I was very honoured to be uh, voted in, what is it now, four years ago, I think, four or five years ago for a f first stint as director of QSS. And again, working more closely with QSS and BAR, you know, getting to know people like Chris Weymouth and Ian Studd, Paul Swindon, the, you know, the ex-general secretary of BAR, who was an absolutely outstanding guy and, and, and great to, to chat to. So pretty much all meeting all of those people at conferences as well, chatting to just people that have got immense knowledge, like, you know, people like Robert Barter at GB Liners, just the, I, I have complete admiration for somebody like him building that business up and keeping such a tight hold on it as he does. And other people, Paul Fox, Tony Tickner, that sort of people. I really, really, really enjoy talking to those people. And so for me, that pretty much is is my high point. It's being more involved in in things BAR and uh, and QSS. I absolutely love it. And I suppose my high point is the fact that after all these years, how much me and Anthony have learned, and now with Ian. And we're still going and we are probably good business people now. Yeah. And just that we are still here. Yeah, I suppose that, that ultimately is a high point because you are still in business after all these years. Yeah, and, but, and but, we've learned such a yeah, lot. We have, and I think for you also, Karen, the conferences are, are really, oh, aren't absolutely. they? absolutely. It, it's something, years ago, my father didn't believe in BAR. And I think at the time he was probably right, saying it was an old boys club. <laughs> but 
I gave it a few years and then looked into after he passed away and then looked into it and joined in 98 and I wouldn't go back. No, getting to know them people. Know the people at, co at conference and chatting to them. I mean, one of your previous, your first guest on, on the podcast, Gary, um, or as he likes to be called, Bert. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, great chatting to him and his wife. Oh. Um, to Fantastic. Ian Stunt, you know, to, to, to those sort of yeah. people, Mark Chudley, you know, all of those people. And you as well, Colin, when you're at the conferences, great to have a chat with you and, uh, and have a beer. So all of those things, really. Uh, am I sober then or am I drunk? I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm not, we don't like to incriminate ourselves. No, I'm not at liberty. <laughs> but yeah, just like that is, is, you know, is our sort of real high point. It's something me and Karen enjoy, the networking part, getting to know people. Ian, on the other hand, who I haven't really mentioned that much, he's our sort of partner that's in charge of sales and marketing. So he sees all our clients. Ian doesn't, he goes to area meetings, but Ian is not one for getting involved in BAR. He supports it. He promotes it. He loves everything about it, but as far as he's, he doesn't want to get involved in the sort of the area sort of chairman's or secretary positions. Your QSS, he's happy for me to do all of that, but he, he likes to stay in the background. So QSS, you've mentioned it a couple of times, quality service standards. Could you tell our listeners what QSS is about and what your role involves? Okay, so QSS uh, is a company that install, uh, if you want them to, and audit quality standards. And they have a range of standards from ISOs to BSENs, and uh, we currently hold two BSEN standards, one for removals, one for storage. Obviously, there's other companies out there that, that audit, but QSS are one of the leading auditors, and they are obviously they're UCAS registered as well. So they are audited themselves very strictly and rightly so. And that has a board of directors, which I'm one of. I think currently we've got six, I think. I think we're flushed, I think, with directors at the moment because last, I think we had a a vote or a, a Last was it last year or this year, and we had two um, members come onto the board. And basically, we oversee the running of QSS, which is headed up by David Woodhouse. He's the general manager, and he looks after the day-to-day -day running of QSS at Watford, alongside Ian Studd. But QSS, although part of BAR, has to be seen to be completely separate from BAR. Therefore, it has an impartiality committee that oversee everything to make sure that we're separate. And Bob Tree, one of the impartiality committee, actually sits on the QSS board as a guest to make sure that that happens. And if anybody knows Bob, he will know that he takes his work very seriously and he does make sure that happens. So it is completely separate. I'm a great believer in standards. And QSS does some great work. It doesn't only focus on BAR members. It has non-BAR members with standards. And it has non-removal companies having standards as well. Because, you know, a lot of companies, 
want health and safety standards or ISOs, that kind of thing. So the really the business of the board is to try and, with David, is to expand where our work comes from. Yes, from BAR companies, and we do promote it at conferences and at uh, the Removers and Storers show, but also to promote QSS outside of removal companies and BAR to get lots of different companies so we can you know, make more money because it's non-profit making. And so it all goes back into, into, the, into QSS. What one thing would you change in the moving industry as a whole? Oh. Not, for, not for just DC Groves, no. as a whole. Solicitors. Oh, what you shoot them. No, no, we better not say that. No. Um, yeah, you might. We might feel like that sometimes. Um, just, just the way it's it's done. A bit more like Scotland would be good, where people can't just pull out the process. And the process. Yeah. And with the solicitors, with with this virus, that was a hard thing as well, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah, it was a hard thing because the solicitors were still telling their clients they could move when the most removal companies were closed. Um, so they are, solicitors are generally the bane of, bane of any removal company's life, to be fair. That is one thing I think that I'd change. I agree with you. I think the other thing I would change is regulation, Colin. I think there needs to be tighter regulation in the removal industry. At the moment, we choose as an industry to be self-regulated, either through being a member of BAR, or any other trade association having standards. But I, I would like to see regulation. It should be recognised as a professional industry, like any, like an electrician or a, 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 a gas uh, fitter uh, who are corgi registered. You know, you, you it should be regulated more. I think that the so-called three and a half ton brigade, although have their place, I think they should be VAT registered. And that they should have CPCs as well, proper, you know, TACO, you know, digi cards in them so that their, their journeys can be registered. And I think they should be subject to the same rules. And one of the reasons I say that is because right from the very start, when my father started, he bought a lorry. He got a CPC, back registered. He done everything in the right way. And I think if you are running any business like this, that's what you should do. So that's what I would change. I just want to touch on one thing. Yeah. You have a very nice charitable option on your removal acceptance forms. Could you elaborate on this for our listeners? Because I think it's fantastic. Okay. So I'm not going to take, firstly, I'm not going to take all the credit. I'm actually going to uh, say that the idea, and we thought it was a, Fantastic idea, like you do. Came from Chris Smallwood, who owns Anchor Removals uh, in Manchester, and it was at a conference in London where he handed over a check to the RBA for doing exactly the same thing. So what we do is we send out our quotations, and on the acceptance form, it has three boxes where our customers need to tick the chosen charity. And currently, those charities are the RBA, which we're great supporters of, having incidentally bid and won one of their shiny removal trucks for a vast sum 
The hospice in the will, which is a local hospice, giving cancer patients end of life care, and that is in their hospices and at the patient's homes. And also a charity that we're heavily involved with, me and Karen, which is the Tented and Lions Club. And Lions Clubs are throughout the world and are the biggest service organisation in the world. And we've belonged to that now for a couple of years. So the clients tick one of those boxes of who they wish to support. And for every tick we get, we give two pounds out of our money, not the clients, our money to that charity. And then once a year, we top that all up because we put it on all on the spreadsheet. And we then hand that money over to the RBA, which we do that at our January AGM yeah. of the Kent area to Mr. Paul Bullock. We also hand over a cheque to the hospice in the world. And we also hand over a cheque to the Lions Club. So those three things are actually marketed as well. So the RBA cheque usually gets mentioned in the RNS as our annual charity support. And the hospice in the will get mentioned in a local paper. And usually I go and do a cheque handover at their hospice at Pembury in Kent. You know, usual thing, standing there with a cheque, shaking hands or now bumping elbows. And uh, we actually get good promotion out of that, Colin. We actually promote that in the local paper. We get a lot of people like what we do with that, to be honest, and, they, and we get jobs through that. So it's a great, it's a great thing. And as I say, we, I don't take credit for thinking of the idea because I didn't, but it was such a wonderful idea that we decided to do it here. It's a great way of free publicity locally in RNS magazine, for example. Just a great, great way. Great, great idea. Well done it, for doing it, and well done to Chris for, for doing it in the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. It is, it is, it is wonderful. And although we only help in a small way to those charities, uh, as I say, every every little helps, doesn't it? At the end of the day. Absolutely. What advice would you give? To a young Anthony and a young Karen, oh. just starting out in the industry. Go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Do something else. No. <laughs> um, no. What What I would say: stay small and profitable. Yeah. And if not, don't run before you can walk. Absolutely. Build a trusted team around you. Yeah. Staff that you can trust. And you don't get that trust by shouting and bawling at them every time something goes wrong. So really build a good team around you. Network. You know, join the BAR. Learn as much as you can about yeah. everything. Yeah, learn what you can. Soak up that knowledge if you're going to a conference Listen or networking. Yeah, absolutely. If absolutely invaluable. I can tell you now that if I had that opportunity again, you know uh, uh, what we were missing over the years not going to conferences really and uh, and just trying to really get involved in, in the bar a little bit more we, we probably lost so many years of that but that's what i would say to anybody new starting up do that because you know that that is that will be invaluable to you networking seems to be a very popular um bit of advice 
yeah, obviously, Colin, there's this stigma, isn't there? Networking's all about a glorified, you know, whatever, and having a beer, uh, which is part of it. But then the things that you can learn from, oh. from talking to people is really is invaluable. Absolutely. Yeah. So where do you see yourselves in five years? Oh, well, I, to be, I'll be honest with you, in five years, I don't really see ourselves anywhere any different no. to where we are now. Running our company as we are, yep. not getting any bigger, carrying out profitable moves and storage, and and really just trying to look at the next five to ten years as the time when we need to make sure the business is in as good a shape as possible. And I say that because Ian is seven years older than me. And uh, the way that we've worked everything is that if one of the three partners wishes to retire and God willing and, um, you know, unless there's any other unforeseen circumstances and Ian being seven years older, he will probably, and it's been spoke about, want to probably retire first. And so he has already said to me and Karen, as I say, bar anything happening, he would give it 10 years, which would take him to 70. And then I think he would turn around to both of us and say, I think I've had enough now. And uh, let's see, you know, we've got nobody to hand it over to any of us. Our two daughters are both school teachers, one teaching year six at primary and one teaching English and drama at secondary. I think, you know, we'd look to, to try and see if all our efforts over the past sort of 40 odd years had, would have been all worth it. And so we would probably all look to sort of Ian retire, perhaps Karen, Tara and me, probably semi-retire at that age. I probably wouldn't quite be old enough to fully retire. But I do have a bit of a plan, Colin, after that. Oh, we are all ears. You must tell our listeners. We, you can't leave us hanging. It's not, you know, it's not like Ozark to series three with episode four. We're now <laughs> going to wait to episode five. Come on, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I think, you know, and I've been thinking about this over the last year or so. I'm heavily involved with QSS. And I think, you know, if I was to come out of only um, our own business, that I would quite like to have a go at auditing for QSS. I think standards, I love standards. I think that I would be a nightmare on an audit. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> but no, I think I'd enjoy it. I, 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 I think that I would also be somebody that would be, if I was to, you know, audit standards, is to help companies to achieve perhaps a standard to, to give them help and advice like people have done to us. I yeah, mean, absolutely. for example, we mentioned Chris Wayne. Yeah. You know, he installed our standard back in 2006. I mean, what a brilliant guy to have. Yeah. And then George Sutherland, who, who then came and audited our systems for a number of years as our, as our regular auditor. You know, I, I'd like to do something like that, Colin. I'll have a word with David for you. <laughs> and, by the, and, and, and by the way if he does listen to this it'd be the first he's heard of it ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear 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 so what do you two like to do 
outside of the industry? This is my last question, by the way, before we get to your funny story. And I hope you've got one as well, Karen. She'll be lucky. <laughs> Karen's funny story would probably be just working with me, I would have thought. But, uh, um, so uh, I enjoy fishing um, and take myself off usually for the weekend. I'm a member of a, uh, a local syndicate lake and uh, I like to go off there and just chill. And, uh, you know, after a hard, hard week, I like a bit of gardening. And we both like, as I just said, in, enjoy sort of working alongside the Lions Club and, and, and helping to raise money locally within our area for local people. That's what we do it for. Although that's not technically relaxing because Karen, the Lions Club is hard work, isn't it, it at is. times? You know, you know what we let ourselves in for, no, so, and I happen to be the the current president of the Lions, and Karen is the current secretary of the Lions. So, when we get any free time, Colin, both of us, we're we're doing a bit of that, really. Yeah. Although yeah. things on that side have slightly stuttered over the last sort of four months, we can't really meet up. We can't raise any money because of the the COVID situation. That's how I like to relax. Other than that, I spend time with our children. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and just really enjoy. Oh, we like cruising. Yeah, we go on the odd cruise as well for a holiday. So we, we enjoy that. Just enjoy our own company because as you can as you can imagine, you know, working together for as many years as we have, and there are a lot of husband and wife setups in our industry, is, you know, we work all day long together and then we come home and, oh, it's you again. We live together, so but we do enjoy our, the company of each other. Yeah, and we, we, do. we do quite a lot together. And But no, I don't go fishing with him. No, she doesn't go fishing, Colin. No, that was a well, step too. I'm far. sure it's both challenging and rewarding. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So finally, mm. I like to end my podcast with a funny moving story. Do you have one to tell? Well, I do, yeah. Some years ago, it was when my father was alive and I was uh, a sort of uh, in my late teens. And we were moving a, uh, a couple from a local address to a, a property in Tunbridge Wells. And all was going okay. It was a standard size move, probably 15, 1600 cube, maybe. Um, and uh, we got to the unloading address and the, the house they were moving into was needed quite a lot of doing up. And was a house on four stories. You had a sort of split level garden. So i.e., the basement was actually a garden level and then where we went in in the front was technically ground but actually then was probably first floor and all was going all right uh, there was me and my father and one of my father's friends because in those days you know if you wanted someone extra it would be a friend usually that would come and help and he was a gentleman in his latter years he'd already retired um, so he was 65 plus and anyway we we were unloading everything and our client had said to my father, well, look, I haven't got a shed or a garage or anything. And I know I've got quite a lot of outside stuff, but I own that piece of ground opposite this house. That lay by there where a 
a car is supposed to park. He said, so could you make sure that it's all stacked there very tidily and I've got a tarpaulin sheet we can put everything on and then bring it over the top and tie it down so it looks okay. No problem, my father said, that's absolutely fine. And my father was very meticulous, very precise and loved to sort of have things neat and tidy. So we would bring it out to him and he was stacking it all up in outside on this tarpaulin. And then all of a sudden, next door neighbor came out. And I mean, for the, I'm not gonna repeat the language that was used, but in essence, he told the guy that he couldn't put uh, his stuff there. He didn't call it stuff and he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't so polite as that, but he told him he couldn't put his stuff there. And our client just looked at him and just told him to pee off. It's the first word he'd said to his neighbor. And I've looked at my father and we've looked at each other and gone, oh my God, what is, what is going on here? The next door neighbor and our client suddenly come up face to face and started having fisticuffs and Colin, they were in their late 70s. They weren't oh, young dude. men. And they start, and I couldn't believe my eyes. But what was even worse is that my dad's friend who was helping us out, who was roughly of a similar age as these two gentlemen, was egging them on. Was, telling, <laughs> was actually telling our client to put one on him. <laughs> And it actually got to the point where it was so funny, if you'd have seen it, these two guys with their fists up, not really landing a punch at all, but blowing heavily because one had a heart condition and the other one had asthma. Oh, my God. In the end, I had to get in between them both. I say I was probably barely 18, getting the middle of both of them to separate them and give them both a good telling off and tell them to go away. It, honestly, it was it was the funniest thing uh, to this day that I, I when as soon as you said, have you got a funny story? I thought I've got to tell that one because all the yes, with these things, you had to be there. But oh, my God, to see these two guys fighting was just or pretend fighting was just hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, there's been lots of other sort of instances over the years oh if you've got another one go for it you know <laughs> have you got anything can you well the only one that sticks in my mind is the one you told me about the other day yeah which was on the rare occasion that i was able to go out on a move to help to do some packing in this cupboard under the stairs was this oh yeah safe it was rather a large safe but they put it in such a way that actually there was no room around it to move it to get it out but he wanted to take it with him yeah i left for the day after i'd done my packing but after that you and alan one of our guys yeah had to get into the yeah cupboard yeah you had to climb over the back (laughs) yeah and get behind the safe to help try and push it out yeah in amongst pushing it out and trying to move it and do whatever else, you stopped and you went, ow, ow, I'm getting burnt. I've got to move. And the light bulb that was in 
above the safe was burning his bottom. Yeah. Push it out. Yeah, it was. It was a huge safe. The gap above the safe and the stairs wasn't very big. And I literally had got myself wedged with this light bulb stuck on my trousers. <laughs> and it was literally burning a hole through them. So, yeah, that was, that was not too pleasant a, an experience. But, yeah, that was, uh, it wasn't funny for me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it proved trousers on order. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, as you say, you know, as I said, there, there's lots of, you know, funny moving stories. There was one where we went to move this, uh, we were moving the client and we went to sort of uh, move the double bed in what we thought was the spare room, which was loaded full of like linen and coats and stuff. So we went to get hold of them all and the son was still in bed. He was still in it. <laughs> which, which I'm sure has happened to lots of other companies but God the, the surprise when he suddenly leapt up because we'd sort of semi-grabbed him as well was yeah quite funny as well but yeah there's lots of I do I do like these funny stories I, I, I'm, I'm going to try my best so listeners if you are you know, those that are listening please send in your funny stories I want to <laughs> I want to tell everybody about them Anthony, Karen, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you, Colin. It's, Colin. it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode three of Moving Matters. If you did, then please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters, which they can listen to on their podcast player of choice. And please, if you can, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. My thanks and appreciation go to Anthony and Karen for giving up their time to record this episode. Thank you again, Anthony and Karen. If you would like to know more about DC Groves & Son and the services they offer, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode or on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners, do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Or send me a tweet at movingmatterspc. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving. <laughs>